When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who do not hesitate to give them the old razzle-dazzle. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we have not stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 2002's Chicago. Good night, folks. Chicago. So there's a lot to explain or a lot to address right now, I guess. So first of all, if you're watching the video version of this episode, Audrey and I both really committed to our outfits for this one. So, um, you know, there are some looks going on, I have to say. But, um, you know, one of the main things about Chicago is that they are wearing sexy black outfits. So we tried to emulate that the best that we could. Luckily, I pretty much only wear black. So it, it's convenient <laughs> for me. Yes. My <laughs> wardrobe is like really, I feel like it's like in a bad place right now. Every day I'm like, what the hell am I going to wear? Like, I have no idea. I don't want to be anything but comfortable, but then I'm comfortable for too long and then I end up hating it. You know what I mean? Yeah. In a bad place is funny. Yeah. (laughs) It is in a bad place. I always want to recycle out everything and like start anew every five seconds, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't work like that. Um, Yeah. I feel the exact same way. And it's like, I feel like I'm going through my closet once a month and never solving my problem. So that's Mm -hmm. great. Okay, anyway, also, before we get into the facts of 2002 Chicago, we have two listener reviews that we want to address. So one of them has a song prompt in it. One of them does not. And I'm going to read the one that does not first. Um, This one is from user Aaron is Trouble, who I am 100% sure is the same person that we met at the She Podcast Conference. And this is what she said. 
The title of the review is Butterfly Clip Queens of Cinema. (laughs) It was five stars. She said, I didn't want to write this review because they are currently at 69 reviews. Absolutely. But I just (laughs) couldn't help myself. These sisters are so fun and they are giving us the content we crave. I'm obsessed with the movie musical season because hello, theater kid here. And I can't wait to listen till I'm all the way back at one. Released in 1999 by Brian McKnight. See what I did there? See, I don't even know what one. Back at One <laughs> must be the name of a movie. Do you know that? Um, Can't say I do, but I get it. Damn it. Aaron's bested us. Okay. Yeah. And then, thank you, Aaron. You're so nice. And then the second one is Love This Podcast from user Beagle Bitches. What a great <laughs> name. She says, I found this podcast through TikTok and it's easy to listen to. Their takes are on point and they choose the best nostalgic movies to review. It's become one of my favorites and I always listen right when I realize there's a new episode. If you want to write a song about me, my name is Kristen. I love my Beagle Maddie and Jay's <laughs> open pit barbecue potato <laughs> chips. I love the details that she chose to go with. And... um. Kristen, I'm not going to make Audrey go through the songwriting process here live. So uh, I'm going to place it in right now. I I came up with your song. Are you ready to hear it? Here it is. Jay's open pit potato chips are my fave on Beagle Bitch. Kristen is my name. I love my dog. Maddie's a guy. Okay, good job. Thank you for giving us criteria. I really appreciate it. Um, Very funny. Okay, Audrey, anything else to say before we get into this? Um, I don't think so. I mean, obviously, a lot of you listeners out there have been helping us um, think about and decide what merch we're going to make. And yes. we have finally gone through that process and ordered it. And so we're we're well underway to have it for, like, have it available to order for the holiday season. So... Shout out to everyone who's helped us um, with that. Yes. And we're really excited to like have a store and all of that. Yeah, especially Joey, our designer, who has truly just overserved us beyond our wildest dreams. You guys <laughs> are going to die. We're super excited for you to see all of it. So, Hannah, are you ready to get into the facts? <laughs> Absolutely. I was born ready to get into the facts. Okay, so I did the notes for today. So you're going to hear my voice instead of Hannah's. We're going to f- do a little flip a on on you. flip a yes. Okay. And so, You've heard of the switcheroo. Now the flip a Um, so Chicago was released on December 27th, 2002, theatrically. It was directed and choreographed by Rob Marshall. And just background information, if you don't already know, this film adaptation of Chicago is based on Bob Fosse's 1975 Broadway play version, musical. Um, so, right. So... Rob Marshall choreographed and directed, which is very impressive and makes a lot of sense. Um, But Rob Marshall is known for Chicago, Mary Poppins Returns, Into the Woods, Nine, um, Pirates of the Caribbean, (laughs) Caribbean. (laughs) I never know if I should just say it right or say it how America, like 
dumb Americans say it. <laughs> well, it's funny because Americans also only say Caribbean when they're talking about Pirates of the Caribbean. Like in general, I feel like people say Caribbean. Right. But yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. I don't know why we all got that in our head. But anyway, Pirates of the Caribbean, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. And then he also just directed the new Little Mermaid remake starring Halle Bailey. So that's exciting. And as we know very well on this show, he choreographed 1997 Cinderella. He also choreographed the Annie that we just covered. So... He was in the mix there. And I just had one other little thing that I wanted to share about this, Audrey, which is that, so the movie's obviously based on the Fosse Broadway play, but the Fosse Broadway play was based off of a Ginger Rogers movie called Roxy Hart Mm -hmm. that was based off of an original stage play called Chicago that was written by this woman in like 19, in the the 30s, where she was like directly lampooning things that had just happened in the 20s. But again, it's a situation, it's kind of like Hairspray, where there's been like so many different iterations of the thing. Yeah, It's similar to that. Yeah, it's kind of like difficult to trace back. Like it's just like this idea that everybody knows about. Um, So this iteration of Chicago was produced by a ton of people, (laughs) um, including the Weinstein brothers. Boo. Um, But I kind of went through and just dropped in some other names. Um, Craig Zidane produced Hairspray and Footloose. Um, So he's clearly into the movie musical. Um, Martin Richards. Well, Craig Zidane was an executive producer, um, as were most of the producers on this movie and the Weinstein brothers. Um, But Martin Richards was the actual producer. Um, and he he produced The Shining, Boys from Brazil, and The Image. Those are all 1970s, 1980s movies. So he seemed, his, his picture on IMDb was very like precious, like precious old man vibe. As you said, Craig Zidane was one of the producers, but also Neil Marin was an, one of the producers too. And they are like the duo that did all the musicals that we talked about in the Annie episode. So like kind of like the people that understood how to do musicals at the time were all involved in this, which is cool. Yeah. And you can totally tell. Mm-hmm. And then as for the rest of the producers, it was, to me, it kind of seemed like an amalgamation of people who have various ties to like the Weinsteins or Rob Marshall or just, you know, they've all met throughout their careers. Like it just seemed like they put a lot of minds together and a lot of different money together for this thing. Um, But Mm. I don't know like the actual details of that, but that's what it seems like. It was written by Bill Condon, who is also a director and like, okay, I had no idea that this man directed Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2. Pretty (laughs) random, but great. Um, He's also known for Kinsey. He wrote Dreamgirls and Gods and Monsters. So, like, what a varied career. Definitely very varied. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, Hannah, ready to read the plot synopsis? Oh, yes, I am. Okay, so here is what we have for the plot synopsis. Two death row murderesses develop a fierce rivalry while competing for publicity, celebrity, and a sleazy lawyer's attention. Pretty good, right? That's pretty good. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah. Um, 
Where'd you find this one? Um, I think it came off Rotten Tomatoes. It's pretty yeah. good. Good, good for yeah. them. Good for them. Okay. So am I getting to do the taglines yeah. now? Wow, what privilege. Okay. Um, all right, let's do this thing. Okay, taglines. We have a lot of options here. I am really excited to read them. First of all, we have, with the right song and dance, you can get away with murder. Then we have, in a city where everyone loves a legend, there's only room for one. <laughs> Third, we have, it's just a noisy hall where there's a nightly brawl and all that jazz. We still have three more here. Number four, we have the one movie that has it all. The fifth one, it began with a hit, dot, dot, dot. And then the last one, if you can't be famous, be infamous. <laughs> Those are all really yeah, good. Yeah, like I, I feel like they really nailed it. They nailed it with all of them. Yes, absolutely. And also one thing that we didn't state at the very beginning of the episode that we probably should have is that this is the second movie we've ever done on Sleepover that is classified as a traditionally good movie and institutionally recognized good movie. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. I'm just saying. Yeah. Smart people were involved in this clearly. Okay. Now it's time to talk about the cast. So first, we have Renee Zellweger as Roxy Hart, who is known, I mean, actually, it's interesting, all of the actors I'm about to name, their number one um, known for film is Chicago, and that is because it is extremely well-received critically. Um, So she is known for Chicago, Mm -hmm. Cold Mountain, Jerry Maguire, and Bridget Jones's Diary. Um, I've never seen Bridget Jones's Diary. (laughs) I feel like... It's a problem. Me neither. And I feel like people will be disappointed when they hear us say that. But I find Renee Zellweger really, I'm not comforted by her. No. Um, No, I'm kind of. I kind of like refused to see Judy when it came out because I felt that she was such a massive letdown to who Judy Garland was. Like, I just was like, I'm not going to support that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that was a really weird casting choice, but also, like, who knows why it ended up being that way. But no, I have not seen Judy either because, no. Just no. <laughs> yeah. um, and then Catherine Zeta-Jones played Velma Kelly. She is best known for Chicago, Traffic, Mask of Zorro, and Entrapment. Mask of Zorro. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I gotta say... Never have I seen someone kill a role like she absolutely yes. bodied Velma Kelly. Like it's like it's really, really impressive. And you yes. can tell that she's got a lot more um agreed performance uh experience than like almost everyone else, if not everyone else in the movie, mm-hmm. like singing and dancing. Um totally. And then how do you say his last name? Gear Gear? Gear. Okay. And then we've got Richard Gere as Billy Flynn. He's best known for Chicago, Pretty Woman, The Jackal, and Runaway Bride. Um, And another really shameful one. I haven't seen Pretty Woman and I don't... Have you, Hannah? No, of course I haven't. If you haven't seen it, I haven't okay, seen but it. Okay, but it's like, for me, it's like a choice at this point. Like, I just don't... 
there's better Julia Roberts films to support. Why is this one bad? It's just like shout. It's like it's like it's, it's like Greece, you know, like bad bad morals. <laughs> okay, you said bad morals. <laughs> bad morals because it's about sex work. Um. Well, here's the problem. I haven't seen it, so I can't. I, I can't have a nuanced take. But just like from what I've heard and like what I've seen, it's just like shallow in a bad way, like not necessarily an empowering way. I don't. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> to wrap up the comment on Pretty Woman, um, don't come for me because I haven't watched it. So I'll watch it. I'll get back to you. We could actually. I'm sure it would be very interesting to do on this show. Next, we have John C. Riley as Amos. <laughs> um, he's most known for Chicago, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Stan and Ollie. Um, I feel like he really exudes theater person energy. Yes, I can see that for sure. Yeah. Um, and I really like him in this role as well. And then next, we've got Queen Latifah as Mama Morton. <laughs> Mama Morton. <laughs> she's most known for Hairspray, Chicago, Bringing Down the House, and then I put Beauty Shop because I feel like a lot of our listeners like Beauty Shop. Yes, definitely. Um, and then we've got, finally, there's not that many, like, known actors in Chicago. A lot of them are, like, just great dancers mm -hmm. and, like, chorus people and, like, that sort of thing, is um, Tay Diggs as the band leader, and he is most known for Rent, The House on Haunted Hill, Chicago, mm -hmm. and Equilibrium. Yes, and we would be remiss to not mention Miss Christine Baranski as Mary Sunshine, the only oh, other yeah, actual, yeah, yeah. like, character, really. Um, love her. And also, interestingly, the role of Mary Sunshine is normally played by a man in drag, at least in American productions. And I just think it's really funny that instead of casting in drag, they casted Christine Baranski because <laughs> it's still, like, a nod to the gays, but, like, not someone in drag, which I actually think that the decision to not cast a drag queen in that role was, like, really tasteful for the adaptation. Because mm. I feel like it would have come off really weird if they had casted it yeah, that way. I agree. You know? Yeah, so good for them. Good, ad good adaptational choice. Okay, so I get to take us into the numbers today. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for you to give me permission. Okay, so the budget for Chicago was $45 million with a box office opening weekend of $2,074,929, which is not great. However, the overall worldwide gross for this movie is $306,776,732. So they absolutely made up on their investment uh, many times over and have a lot of awards to show for this movie. So good for them. And now into what the critics had to say about this movie. So uh, Chicago has an 86% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, which maybe isn't the highest critic score we've seen on the show, but it's definitely one of the highest. Um, and the critic consensus is... A rousing and energetic adaptation of the Broadway musical, Chicago succeeds on the level of pure spectacle, but provides a surprising level of depth and humor as well. So uh, <laughs> that's good. Really positive. 
Oh, yes, true. Um, and then the audience score, this is probably the closest margin we've ever had, is an 83% audience score. So very, very close. Only three percentage points off from the critic score. And here is a uh, selection of audience reviews. So one person said, and this was a review from 2021, this film is energetic, sexy, and fast-paced. It includes a lot of memorable riffs and motifs and definitely meets expectations for a film adaptation. It's funny because memorable riffs is not what I would use to describe Chicago, but like I get what they're trying to say. Um, and then uh, another review from 2021 did not like this movie and they said one word wretched a little wordy i know but that is probably the easiest way to describe this piece of crap <laughs> i wanted to die and for my eyeballs to stop working the only reason i finished this wretched movie was because i am a sadist oh my god that's uh, just i thought that was so out of line that, incredibly out of line that is very incredibly out of pocket i have to agree and then uh, last but not least, we have, uh, of course, we had to look up the Roger Ebert review of this movie. And this is what he had to say. Chicago is a musical that might have seemed unfilmable, but that was because it was assumed it had to be transformed into more conventional terms. By filming it in its own spirit, by making it, frankly, a stagey song and dance review, by kidding the stories instead of lingering over them, the movie is big, brassy fun. <laughs> He got it. He Thank got, you, he hit the Roger. nail on the head. Um, well, I was just going to elaborate on the fact that this adaptation of Chicago was nominated for many Oscars and it won the following Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress, Best Art Direction, Costume Design, Editing, and Sound. So that's like, it wasn't a clean sweep. Like they didn't win every nomination, but they won most of them. So pretty major yes. for a movie musical that was made in an era where movie musicals were not really being made that much. And if they were, they definitely were not being mm -hmm. awarded that much. So it like broke through. Yeah. Totally. And um, for better or for worse, the success of this movie definitely kicked off a lot of the movie musicals that we have been talking about uh, over the past few months. So thank you to Chicago for making all of these other people think they could do it because even if they couldn't do it, we got some pretty entertaining content yes. out of it. So thank you very much. Um, and then uh, the gossip section, 2002 celebrity news. Okay, I'm pretty sure we've talked about 2002 before, but here are just a couple little things to keep in mind. So this was the beginning of the J-Lo and Ben Affleck uh, relationship saga. This was the first time around. Yes, because this is when I was into the People Magazine collaging. Right. Um, Winona Ryder had her shoplifting trial in 2002. Eminem made his acting debut, I think, mm -hmm. in 8 Mile alongside Brittany Murphy. Uh, reality TV started swearing. So, Audrey, does that mean that beforehand there were rules that they couldn't well, cuss? Well, I think the comment more had to do with... Um, Anna Nicole Smith and like how like low brow it was like it was like taking it to a new level oh, of like yeah 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 
the Anna Nicole Smith show, yeah, it definitely did happen around this time. And that was kind of like, from my understanding, like one of the first examples of like borderline exploitative, non-structured reality mm-hmm. TV. Um, so that's when that came onto the scene. Um, and then next up, Angelina Jolie divorced Billy Bob Thornton. And then last but not least, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding came out and was a huge box office success, which reminds me that we totally have to do an episode on that movie. Yeah, I rewatched it kind of recently and I was like, uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I have not seen it in a really, really, really long time. So personally, I'm looking forward to uh, discussing that one. Okay, so... Early memories of this movie, earliest associations. Audrey, what do you remember about this movie from the first time you saw it? Okay, I have no clue. Like, I don't know when I first watched it, but I'm pretty sure it became um, a minivan movie. Is that right? Ah, I think you might be right. But uh, like a late edition. Yeah, like a late edition. And I know we owned it at one point or another because... I've seen it a lot. And um, I was just, as I was rewatching, I was like noting how much of it went over my head as a kid. Uh Like (laughs) a lot of it went over my head. Um, But I loved it for like the choreo, the glitz, the glamour, the music. Yes. Um, And also I just wanted to add as a side note that I know that like our family saw it on Broadway once probably in like 07 Mm -hmm. or 08 or something. I know that did happen. And then I saw it again in like 2018 or 2019 with my friend Taylor. Uh And they had, Chicago is on Broadway, is known for their stunt casting of like D-list celebrities. Yes. Like it's just, and and I got so mad watching it. more recently because it was um they had Christy Brinkley as Roxy Hart who's just like she's like a model from like the 90s or something she's like yeah yeah she's a model and uh it was the most horrific Broadway performance (laughs) I've ever seen it was that bad it was so bad that I felt I could do a better job on that day like it was like yeah it was so tragic I remember that thing about the stunt casting because it's like this show has somehow stayed on Broadway for like five million years like kind of for no reason and I feel like it is very much based on the fact that they like are desperately clamoring for stunt casting all the time and like can bring in like just random tourists from across America with like casting like real housewives and shit in the show yeah, and because the production is so cheap yep. that they're able to keep it going. Like the 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 um, Broadway production itself is so bare bones compared to the movie. Yeah, like it's like <laughs> I feel like that's kind of part of like the success of the movie too. Is like there was no um, like preconceived notion of what it was supposed to actually look like, so yeah. they were able to really run with it. But okay, before we get into that, I have kind of a lot of memories about this movie. So. The first time I watched this, I am basically 100% sure that it was in the basement of my best friend in high school's house, Allie. Um, And I remember laying 
she had like a mat, like a twin mattress on the ground in her basement. And that was kind of like the bed that like random friends would sleep on. And I remember like laying in that twin bed and watching the movie and being like so memorized by it or mesmerized, excuse me. Mm -hmm. This movie has always struck me as being... Well, upon this watch, it I don't think it was as real, but especially when I was younger, I used to think that unconsciously, I guess, that this movie's like pretty gay. Like there's just like the way, I think it's just the powerful women walking around in their underwear that yeah. imprinted on my brain for sure. Also, this is like a really good, horrible like theater memory. So, okay, like a big part of what made me like or dislike movie musicals when I was in middle school and like early high school doing theater stuff was whether the songs that the other that like the actors sing were singable in my very limited alto range. And Chicago is one of those shows where all the women's songs are pretty low. And I remember Mm -hmm. I was in this like theater workshop in like eighth grade and it was like an audition workshop with like, and of course this is like Solon Center for the Arts, like literally like a rec center, but like for theater camp basically in the town where we grew up. And they brought in this like expert, like, audition workshop guy, like consultant. And everyone had to go up there and like theoretically audition for something. And I chose to sing Funny Honey from Chicago, which is like the easiest song to sing Uh ever. And I remember I like got up and I sang it. And then this guy would read you in front of everyone in the camp right after (laughs) you were done. Like that is what it was. Yeah, And he was like, so you came on stage and you were so interesting. And like, I really was looking forward to hearing what you were going to sing. And then you said what you were going to sing. And I was so disappointed in your choice that I basically tuned out the entire song. <laughs> and I was like, oh my uh, God. Okay. Literally I was in eighth grade. So I think about <laughs> that. And then last but not least, this is like, Okay, like I said last week with the Sweeney Todd episode or two weeks ago, there are certain musicals that you can like unironically as an emo kid because they have dark themes. And Chicago was on the outer, like on the outskirts of that. (laughs) However, I still use Chicago as part of my personal brand when I was in middle school. So there you have it. I also definitely listened to the soundtrack like 8,000 zillion times because I still knew all the words to it when I watched today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hee hee. Okay, so now Chicago. Okay, so I rented Chicago on Apple TV for $4. Audrey coincidentally saw it on the plane (laughs) back from Arizona. So it's not the most accessible movie, but you can certainly make it happen. If you are, if you have a Delta flight upcoming, (laughs) um, you can watch it there. Yeah, I, uh, I woke up early today and watched it. And it was fun. So please go watch the movie and meet us back here for uh, our unpacking. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. 
We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. We hope you enjoyed your viewing of Chicago. And now it is time for us to unpack this shit. So um, I can already predict that we probably will not have a ton of negative things to say about this movie. Um, So maybe let's start with the bad things instead of the good things. Oh, okay. Well, also just a side note, I just realized I forgot to mention the iconic legendary Lucy Liu in the cast Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. That fully gagged like me. <laughs> yeah, that that yeah. really got me. I w- because when yes. I first watched this movie and last time I watched it, I was not fully cognizant of her level of legendariness. Mm-hmm. So when I watched it on the plane, I was like gasping. The fact that she had this cameo is great. Yes, totally agreed. <sighs> Um, so for worse now, I put mm-hmm. that I want to like Renee's acting so bad, but I just can't um, because her facial, her de- her default facial expressions are so annoying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hate to say it because literally the only thing I had written down under bad is that Renee makes me feel weird. Yeah. The only other bad thing I had or like worse now thing is that I wish that there was more um, harmony and less unison in the songs. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I had that same thought, but Chicago is really, is really like straight tone, unison, like that sort of thing. I know, but they could have added it potentially in some spots. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, I also think that with the casting of Renee, so actually earlier today, I watched like a behind the scenes little featurette thing on the movie while I was on the elliptical, LOL. And they were talking about how Renee had like very limited um, like musical theater song and dance acting experience and Catherine Zeta-Jones had been on Broadway before. And so she was kind of like, observing Catherine and like watching her feet for steps and stuff like that. And you can definitely tell that that was the case, I feel like. But also there's something that I'm curious about that I didn't have time to research, but I definitely will after this, which is that I feel like Roxy has a really similar vibe to Sally Bowles from Cabaret. Mm -hmm. Like, in that she's like not that good and it's okay because that's not the point. And it kind of just makes me wonder like as a whole what the relationship is between Chicago and Cabaret because I'm pretty sure that the um, lyricist is the same. Who's the lyricist? Is it Candor and Ebb? I think it is. I mean, I know it's Candor and Ebb for Chicago. Yeah. Hold on, I'm going to look it up really fast just because I'm curious. Yeah. Well, I got to say, too, that, like, that's great casting because they're, the real-life dynamic between Renee and Catherine reflects the dynamic of the characters. Yes. Also, it is Candor and Ebb. Yeah. That is so weird. I mean, they're not the same story. No. 
no, they're not the same story, but they have a really similar aesthetic to them. Mm-hmm. I feel like that kind of makes sense, though. Like, if you're into it, you're into it. Like, you want to keep exploring that. Yeah, but it's also kind of, I mean, it's different. It's a different time period because the whole thing with Cabaret is that it's World War II and this is like right before World mm-hmm. War II. They just feel very much related to me, which is interesting, but not a bad thing. Yeah, I think um, that the whole thing of like Renee not being an amazing singer and dancer and the character not being amazing, it like works for me a lot more in something like Chicago where it's about her being mediocre. It's literally about her being a mediocre performer. Right. Then, and I hate to bring it up. I really do. But uh, <laughs> then it does in like La La Land. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. There are elements of of that same idea that Emma Stone, like Emma Stone's character wants to be an wants to be a performer, wants to succeed as an actress, blah, blah, blah. Um, but she's kind of mediocre so she's like she her like big break isn't really coming mm-hmm. and I don't know I don't know I can't even I don't have like a real take on that but all I'm saying is it works for me more in Chicago than it does in La La Land <laughs> I still have not seen La La Land because I was in college when it came out and I was like fuck seeing anything relevant because I hate it here and because you were like don't do it <laughs> I just have so much hatred in my heart when, like, tap is done. Like, I just, oh, it's bad. I know yeah, I need to, real. I need to not die on this hill. But, like, if they got, if they could. I mean, why not? If they could get Richard Gear to tap dance extremely passably in this movie, then, like. I have a couple notable things. Just two things. Um, I thought that. They're saying it's jazz the whole time. They're like all that jazz, obviously. It's but not I don't, jazz. They're not really singing jazz. <laughs> <laughs> it's a show tune with a jazz band, but it's not jazz. And I get the whole point is that it's like the 20s. So it's like jazz, booze, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But like, it's literally not jazz. I just thought that was kind of funny. Oh, man. Oh, and then also one thing I wanted to check, but I also ran out of time for is that when Roxy first walks into the room where Matron Mama Morton comes in right before When You're Good to Mama and the lady is sitting next to her and she's like older and she's smoking the cigarette and she's like, you know, this, she's a tough cookie or whatever she says. I was like, that has to be someone who's like historically relevant to Chicago's existence. Like, I just have a feeling that's a cameo and I don't know it. Just look it up. I'll, okay, okay, hold on. Uh, oh my God. Oh my God. It's literally the first trivia fact on IMDb. In the beginning of the, girl, I fucking knew it. Wow, I'm so stupid for not knowing this. In the beginning of the scene, introducing Mama Morton to the new inmates, Roxy Hart has a brief conversation with a woman smoking a cigarette. That character is played by longtime Broadway actress, literal Cheetah Rivera, oh. who portrayed Velma Kelly in the original 1975 production of Chicago. There it is. There it is. We deserve okay. to be hit for that one. <laughs> I know, but you know what? At least I did know yeah. that it was someone. Yeah. Wow. Oh my God. That's so satisfying. I, I love that I was right. I think okay. I was being served Cheez-Its and Sprite at the time. Uh, <laughs> I think I was anyone, distracted. Anyone would be distracted by that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So 
those were my notable things. I really didn't have a lot. Okay, and now good things. What do you have to say? So, okay, from the very start, I loved that there was clear stylistic cinematography in sync with the music and like in it like knew what it was. Mm-hmm. It knew what it was going to try to do right off the bat. And there are like actual shots with a point of view. Like at no point can you watch this movie and think that you are watching like a pro shoot a pro shot of the show like on the (laughs) stage yes and that it is a film damn it yeah like it it, to me it it came off like kind of a Baz Luhrmann ripoff vibe just like a little bit Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. like he definitely seems like inspiration for them which is good I think that made sense um, it's not as visually busy as Baz Luhrmann stuff is, but it has right. like that zany feel to it. And I really liked, yes, I, I like agree with Roger Ebert in that I really liked the idea of them making Roxy so delusional in the movie that like when <laughs> her life is just like shit is hitting the fan, like she's actually at rock bottom, they will like fade it into a number that is essentially happening in her head. Like as though these acts of her life were turned into cabaret songs, which is like what she would like to be doing ideally. Right. I think it made the character a lot more interesting because Roxy can just be like shrill, obnoxious, stupid, and like boring. (laughs) Like I just don't... She can be really... Lazy, stupid, (laughs) selfish, and unconcerned. Yeah, like I just... (laughs) There's not a whole lot to love about her. So the fact that they just were able to take it up the ante by making the songs completely in her head um, as like sort of like half dream imaginings. I, I like that. Mm -hmm. Anything else under your good? Um, I felt that they did a good job filling in the blanks in adaptation from Broadway because they're, you know, they added some dialogue here into the movie. They, they're like finding ways to connect sections that kind of doesn't exist in the show. Yes. Is there like some smacking going on in the background where you are? Yes, and there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> what is it? It's, the, it's this pesky drop of water that falls onto my AC unit. from the outside like there's this drop that comes from like a so loud I I don't know how to get like I can't get out there like I can't put my hand out there is it built in or did you put it in there no I put it in but it's like we're four floors up like it's kind of high stakes like I can't just like open it up casually Oh my God, it's so loud. That's unreal. Okay. Um, well, hopefully it's not too annoying for people that are listening. At least now we know what it is. Okay. I mean, um, yeah, it is being paid. I guess it's so loud. I can see that it is being recorded. Yeah. Well, it's quieter now. It like varies. I was saying that they did a good job filling in the blanks. Uh, in the adaptation, having to figure out a logical way to string this all together because Chicago is essentially a review, uh, a musical review. Yes. 
a song cycle, if you will. Yeah. Um, the movie is a lot better than the Broadway show. I agree. And I like never think that ever. So yep. that's saying a lot. I think it was just, it was kind of like a perfect transition for it because you want to see it. Like when I, when I, when we have seen it on stage, I think my, in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, but where's like the show? Like where's the glitz and glamour of the movie? Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, two mo- you miss it. You do miss it. And then two more things. Queen Latifah absolutely deserves her flowers for providing quality performances <laughs> in movie musicals. When yeah. when no one else will do it, you can count on Queen Latifah to take us there. And then finally, yes. Catherine's performance as Velma Kelly is so good. Like it's actually so good. Yeah, it's like the role she was born to play. Yeah, and like perfect casting. So mine are pretty similar. I love John C. Riley in this. Yeah, me really, too. just the casting. Like, okay, like he's just the perfect person. I also love Mr. Cellophane. I think that's a great song. It's like not a mm-hmm. flop. Like I feel like, well, maybe. I feel like for some people it could be like the old man song of the show, but I really like it personally. I think it's a good song. I also think that Richard Gere's voice is so good. He's such a good singer. Yeah. And the part at the beginning of All I Care About Is Love where you think he's the guy getting his shoes polished and then he's the one being the shoe shiner, Mm -hmm. that that never gets old. (laughs) It's so funny. That like got me this time when I was watching it. I thought that was really clever. Um, and then, so I, okay. So obviously it's a good movie. I don't really have a lot more good things to say just because it's like, look at the material. And like you said, a lot of the things that I feel too. But when I was like kind of a, a question and I'm interested on like what you think about this is like the framing device, like the numbers and stuff. I feel kind of like, the entire time I was trying to like extricate some sort of extra meaning from the framing device. Like, you know, and like, I don't really think it's there, but at the same time, I think it's kind of okay because God forbid that a musical just is a musical. Yeah. You know, but do you have any thoughts on like what it is? Like the meaning of the diegetic, no, no, no the non-diegetic musical numbers. Um, like, well, what is it saying? Other than characterizing. I think, it, I think basically the reason it is the way it is is because they had to make a decision about how this, the world of Chicago was going to function. Like, the way yeah. the show is formatted, you can't really have those numbers be diegetic because... Because they're, they're not. <laughs> Even in the show, they're not. And that is interesting. Really, really what I'm what I'm asking is more like what like are we supposed to take anything away from this? Like, is there supposed to be like a bigger statement with this? And I kind of feel like part of it is that so much of the movie is about like the power of story and like shaping your story to win public favor or like to get the outcome that you want. Mm-hmm. And like cabaret style storytelling slash singing is such like a old timey some I mean relatively not old timey but in this case like old timey way of entertaining and storytelling that I was just that was kind of like 
in the stew of my brain, but I didn't really come up with anything particularly um, uh, meaty. But okay, so I want to go into problematic slash societal reflections. Yeah, there's lots to be talked about here. I feel like. Audrey, are some of your takeaways having to do with the colorblind casting and how it is a little bit weird with the subject matter? Um, I absolutely did think that, yes. Um, I, I felt like when I was trying to write my notes for the dated problematic section, I was like, I feel like I'm getting at something, but I don't know what it is. I actually didn't write down that point, but I absolutely agree with that point. So if you want to elaborate on that. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Well, so kind of what was a little, uh, I didn't think it was like problematic at all, really, but just kind of something that I was sort of thinking about as it was going was that the show is so specifically planted in the 1920s like basically the era that it's in is like a character in a lot of mm-hmm. ways they're like colorblind casting but only for mama morton which i was actually sort of wondering is this part traditionally played by a black woman and i don't think that it is I also thought that it was weird that like the one named black character was in charge of the prison. And it was like, just, it feels very much like a white people's story about jail. It's just (laughs) weird. Not only in the sense of this is a story written by and about white people, but also like, it's just very like flippant about it. And I know that, um, that this was obviously before like, mass incarceration was such an issue and like before um you know before at least like our attention our attention wasn't there well I mean numbers wise it it has spiked since the 90s like there's Uh been like a an actual like documented spike um Mm -hmm. but obviously systems have always been rigged against black people so but that's like a whole other topic I just thought it was weird and then okay there was also a part where I thought it was weird which was when it was mama morton's solo number there was like a backdrop behind her as she was on stage that had kind of like borderline minstrelly looking illustrations on it and then i was like okay is this like a black Mm -hmm. club is that like the point but then it showed the audience and it was like maybe like 70 30 black people white people with the majority being black but i was just kind of like what like i thought that that was kind of a weird choice It's not taking place in a realistic world. Well, right. So basically like all of what I'm saying sort of feels like being like intentionally having like a bad faith interpretation, but I don't actually have like a true issue with it. (laughs) It just made me think, what do you have under this category? Well, I don't even know like what... What again? I don't know what I'm getting at here, and I don't have any truly solid bones to pick. But there's just not a something, solid bone in sight. <laughs> like the the optics of the show, why people go to see the show, and then what it's actually about are like kind of at uh, at odds with each other. And like I could think, I would think that it it's kind of cool if they're able to draw in audience members by being like look at all these hot slinky looking dancers or whatever (laughs) and then you actually go and see it and the the songs it's very much about like 
kind of like abusive relationships with men, money and power and like how women don't get what they often get the short end of the stick. And um, they do not get what they deserve. Sorry. What's that? It was supposed to be on a roll, but I changed the words. Oh, (laughs) I'm a fucking Um, comedic genius over here. Okay, please move on. (laughs) But I think that if that is the intention, that's kind of cool. But it doesn't like fully take you there story-wise. Oh, the water is slapping again. (laughs) (laughs) I can hear it. Uh, uh, we're struggling today guys just so you know the tech this has been a really rough technical situation this whole time (laughs) so the water slapping is just like the cherry on top of this whole situation um i also think okay well here's maybe one more like thing to mull over together which is that okay because speaking to the slinky ladies point it's like So much of the, okay, so you, well, okay, I know that this is kind of like a hot topic right now, but it's like you dress sexy for the, because the male gaze, and at the same time, so much of the movie and the story is about like manipulating the male gaze, but then at the same time, ultimately, like that is what dictates what will happen to you, like how you're perceived by the public and like yeah. society at large, which is so like straight male dominated. And it's kind of interesting if you think about it that way, because it's like, we've talked about this before. It's like, do you choose to play into it to maybe win the game? Because that's kind of what the movie mm-hmm. feels like, you know? Yeah, but I guess ultimately, you know, no matter what you do, no matter how many men you manipulate, blah, 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 you're never going to win. Like, you can't truly win in the no, sis- in this system. So yeah. it's like you might feel like you're winning. And in theory, you know, Roxy gets what she wants in a lot of ways by the end of the movie. But... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like she's not out here feeling like she beat the patriarchy or something, but it's just like, no, she's playing within the she's playing within the game and like the standards that have been laid out for her. Um, yeah, which is all all you can do, I guess. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, I guess it's. I don't know. I feel like it's so hard to like make big reaches with this movie because I don't think that it made a okay because it's so like song and dancey and like razzle dazzly I feel like it doesn't make that big of an impact on the people that see it other than the fact that it's like a good spectacle and then it like made a bunch of money and then other people wanted to make musicals because of it like mm-hmm. if I was to um in an homage to our friends movies that raised us this movie did not raise me despite the fact <laughs> that I watched it like all the time when I was in a very like influential or easily influenced state of my life. So it's hard to give it too much grief about some of its like potential blind spots because it's like it did its job. It does a good job doing what it set out to do. And that's okay. You know? Yeah. We're just in Reachville because it's kind of interesting to think about. Yeah. Like Reachville population too. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't take any morals from this movie because yeah and also it takes place in the 1920s so I 
I'm not really looking to do it for like an example or a role model, but yes, totally. um, I never was. But yeah, I feel like it is interesting because it was written. Obviously, it wasn't written in the 1920s, but like. But it came from subject material that basically was written then. Yeah. So, so like, yeah, like the, it's the attitude and the tone has shifted so much over the years. And also when I was watching this docu-series today, I was kind of like, not docu-series, excuse me, one video about this. Um, <laughs> it was like, it was like, yeah, when this, when this uh, movie came out or like when the Broadway show first came out, it was super relevant because Watergate and everyone thought that like American institutions were corrupt. And then they were like, and then when the movie came out in 2002, it was relevant again because of the OJ Simpson trial. And now it's relevant because everything is corrupt. And I'm like, okay, so basically everything is always corrupt and there's always a reason to relate to this is what I'm hearing. Oh, that's good. That That's like a yeah. good way that, that really shows like it's timelessness. And like, it I do timeless. feel like, yeah. Yeah. Th- there's always a way to connect to it because it's about systems. I mean, Chicago, it is about systems. It's about like three systems at once. Maybe even more yes. than that. Yes. It's about society. It's about justice. Just kidding. I mean, kind oh of. <laughs> Not, Not really. actually, though. <laughs> Not actually. No. It's so sad. Also, also, okay, I know we need to wrap it up, but like... There's something very, the other reason why it's like a white woman's or well, really, yeah, it's like a white woman's story is just like the um, total lack of like consequences, like for any of it. Oh, and, yeah. They pull such the, shit all the time. Yeah. And, and also like the one woman gets executed and she doesn't speak English and that's kind of how they show that like the system is like rigged. Like she's the one innocent one, but she can't advocate for herself. So she dies. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Is Chicago worth watching? Yes. Yeah. Um, It's a great example of a stage to film adaptation to the point where the film adaptation is actually better. And I don't think I'll ever say that about any other adaptation. Um, I although agree. I I have to say, and this is sort of a spoiler, so if you're still listening, like, hey. But um, <laughs> uh, if you've I have never seen like a us. really legitimate production. Yeah, I've never seen like a really legitimate production of Hairspray before. So I can't really judge mm-hmm. that on, on stage to film. But this one... Clearly, the people were living, and it is actually bop after bop after bop after bop after bop. There is no song in this movie and the show that, like, I really, really don't like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, definitely not. We didn't do the things. Should we talk about our favorite lines to sing? Um, I don't really... It's hard. It's like impossible to choose, but I wanted to give a special shout out to Mr. Cellophane, as you said, because it's a great song. Yeah. And I really like I Can't Do It Alone. Mm-hmm. And then as far as least favorite, I don't even have a least favorite. <laughs> okay. I think my least favorite, if I had to pick, I mean, funny, honey, that guy was right at that workshop in middle school. And then my favorite line to sing is definitely, um, 
We both reached for the gone. But it's they both, not we both. Um, Love it. I love the choreography in that scene. The one paparazzi guy or journalist guy who's like swinging back and forth at the end. I was like, this is genius. Understandable. (laughs) All of his songs, all of Billy Flynn's songs are so good. The numbers are like perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, wait. I I made a category for favorite choreography because yes. we didn't even really touch upon it, but like Bob Fosse choreography is like the some of the most identifiable, most iconic choreography ever um, in the history of movement. Mm-hmm. So that needs to be appreciated. Obviously, everybody knows and loves Cell Block Tango um, because it is so, again, like identifiable. Mm-hmm. in any context. And um, I I was feeling like through the adaptation, the, the Fosse choreography is so integral to the show and they actually were able to make it shine more through the cinematography, not less. A lot of times, like, when you have original choreography, they're, like, not... They, like, won't do it justice. They'll, like, show it to... Um, objectively but the way that they shot it made it shine more and I I liked that but what was really funny is that in in um all he cares about is love I forget what the line is but the girls are like a car around him and like there's literally two girls rolling like as though they are the wheels of the car and it's It's like genius. It's really, really good. Yeah, I also noticed um, in that same part, the girl who's like the front of the car has this like really funny expression on her face and like a scarf like (laughs) billowing in the breeze. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, like that, those numbers. Yeah, very creative, very good use of um, like... It's cool because it's still like it is about the set and it is about like the look of it all, but it's still very like movement and like human bodies based, which is very much what the Broadway show mm-hmm. is like. So like it's in the spirit of kind of the same thing, which is cool. Yes. Like all of that could have been like bad montage, but instead it was cool choreography. Like rent. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it is worth watching. It has held up and it has aged pretty well. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Very good. Okay, Chicago, we really didn't have much to criticize about you, and we knew that was going to happen. So, uh, thank you. Thank you for (laughs) joining us this week. Hey, I think it's a good episode. I think we did good. (laughs) Okay, I think we did good, too. We have one more episode of this season. I know it's wild. Um, And then we'll be taking a little break, but not a very long break, uh, as I'm sure you will not be surprised to hear. Um, But my apartment will be becoming a one to two person shipping and order fulfillment uh, business due to the Sleepover Cinema merch. So please uh, give that a look whenever we have that up. But until then... Leave us a review if you're feeling generous, if you're feeling thankful this holiday season. (laughs) And we will be back really soon. Bye. Bye. 
You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at toopingpictures.com. If you want to watch our show as well as listen, we're on YouTube too. Search Sleepover Cinema or go to the link tree in our Instagram bio. We're on Instagram and Twitter at toopingpictures and would love to hear from you there. We're also on TikTok at Sleepover Cinema and that's really where the party is at. And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share the episode with a few friends. Leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next and leave us a review if you like the show. And if you don't, don't. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah, and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Special thanks to executive producers Michael D'Aloya and David Moss. We'll chat again soon. Bye. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.